This is Navigate with ID. Good morning, my dear friends, and welcome to Navigate with ID. On Tuesday, we had a very interesting time when I talked about building trust and credibility. And that pillar took us through the length and breadth of what we need to do concerning credibility, not just as individuals, but ultimately having impact on us as a nation. Well, today, it's another time for stretching the limit on the same theme, developing your executive presence. Remember, it's all about you. It's all about you because you are the one that will step into the arena. You're the one that will step into the concourse of discussions. You are the one that will become the subject matter expert that needs to be recognized. And so it's important that developing your ex executive presence becomes a priority. And so today, I'll be looking at a major pillar, which most of us do not take cognizance of, but it's so critical in making our presence felt and known. And that has to do with building interpersonal communication skills. Interpersonal communication skills. I want to thank MTN for this opportunity because um, by sponsoring this program and really letting people get to the nitty-gritty of how they can get so well-developed in their personal stratosphere and then ultimately impacting the environment. The first thing that comes through in interpersonal communication is making connections. And so I want to start by actually giving you a little exercise. And that exercise is something you can do right now. You can definitely, you know, if you're listening to this after the fact, you can still go through the exercise. And it's following. It's a following. Number one, I want you to write down the names of three people that you consider good listeners. Now, having done that, I'll ask, did you write down the name of a person that you do not like? Do any of the three people fit into one of these categories? Number one, someone you like. Number two, someone you love. And number three, someone you respect. The genesis and the whole revelation of this is, if you wish to be liked, loved, or respected, how is it that you need to behave? And what that means in building your interpersonal communication skills, there is something that you need. And the major item that I'm putting on the table for your consideration as a pillar is active listening skills. Active listening skills. Active listening means that we try to understand things from the speaker's point of view. It includes letting the speaker know that we are listening and that we have understood what was said. This is not the same as hearing, which is a physical process where sound enters the eardrum and messages are passed to the brain. Active listening can be described as an attitude that leads to listening for shared understanding. Do you realize that we are very poor listeners? Majority of us are poor listeners because we don't really try to understand things from the speaker's point of view. We barge in, we chime in, we don't even allow people to finish. The average Nigerian's span of listening is almost like 
less than 30 seconds you already know the answer you know where the person is going but this in a way does not help you in building credibility and also trust and ultimately will impact your executive presence why you wonder why someone does not want you around him or her because the minute they find out that you do not listen to what they say they would naturally not want to get into conversations with you so when you make a decision to listen for total meaning you listen for the content of what is being said as well as the attitude behind what is being said and so the kind of question you'll be asking yourself is the speaker happy angry excited sad or something else entirely when you take this as a major um, piece of what you need then there are certain techniques that you need to put as your watch as your watch watch words or watch cards number one responding to feelings do you realize that the content that is word spoken is one thing but the way people feel really gives full value to the message i always say to people that folks do not remember the exact words you used or what you said but what they remember is how you made them feel if 10 years ago you had said some nasty things to a certain individual and he or she took that away i bet you asking that same person what you said 10 years after he may not be able to regurgitate the words verbatim but i can tell you one thing he or she will never forget how you made him or her feel those words were were pungent so the content that is the word spoken is one thing but the way that people feel really gives full value to the message responding to the speaker's feelings adds an extra dimension of listening are they disgusted and angry or in love and excited or perhaps they could be ambivalent these are all feelings that you can reply to in your own part of the conversation because you are conscious of this particular aspect the other thing that i want to put on the table for you as a second tip is reading cues and cues here is spelled c u e s when you say you know that's you you can take a cue from something or somebody really listening means that we are also very conscious of the non-verbal aspects of the conversation so for example what are the speaker's facial expressions hand gestures and posture telling you remember we're talking about building interpersonal communication skills interpersonal communication skills so when you find that someone is speaking to you from the facial expressions the gestures i mean i'm one person i i gesticulate a lot so it's possible that from my gestures and my posture i will be passing a message now sometimes what people say and then the gestures do not necessarily rhyme but that's why we're talking about reading the cues the other thing you find out is is the voice loud or shaky now you when you find someone's voice shaky it's either of two things one the person 
is absolutely lost in the content of what he needs to say or is born out of fear. Now, sometimes an extreme part of respect can really border into fear. So you find someone being shaky about communicating. What it then means to you is that you need to make the person a bit more relaxed because you're trying to build some interpersonal communication. The other cue that you may look at is by asking yourself, is that person mumbling or having difficulty finding the words they want to say? If that happens, then you know that there is something that is absolutely important um, that you need to you know, interrogate or check before you can continue. The third tip I will put on the table for you and for your consideration is what I call demonstration cues. Remember, these were reading cues. This is now about demonstration cues. When you are listening to someone, these techniques will show a speaker that you are paying attention, providing you are genuine in using them. So what are the physical indicators? You notice that in a car, there's what we call a dashboard. On the dashboard of a car, you have several meters that tell you, A, the odometer is there, tells you how much distance you've covered. There's also the speedometer that also tells you how far and how well you're revving the engines. Now, it depends on the kind of car you have. There are cars and there are cars. And there are some cars that somewhere close to the screen, there are particularly BMW you'll find in terms of acceleration, it tells you by the minute how you're moving and you'll see what you're clocking without looking at the dashboard. Another part of the dashboard talks about fuel. You know, more or less the instrumentation and the things that are happening to the engine. It tells you where your fuel gauge is, the oil. You can turn those to mean physical indicators. That's the same way as an individual we do have physical indicators. So for us, if you take the car example, physical indicators include making eye contact. You know, I like the Yoruba proverb that says, or how they put it in Yoruba, it's a very rich language. Um, You know, making eye contact is key. You know, the, um, the Igbo will say, anya to anya, that's eye to eye. That's a physical indicator. Nodding your head from time to time is also a physical indicator. But trust me, if you go come across um, some of our friends from a different continent who are continuously moving their heads, you can even be confused. It is still a physical indicator and leaning into the conversation. You can also give verbal cues or use phrases such as go on, Really, and then what? All of these are a way to show the speaker that you are paying attention. But when you don't have any of those uh, cues, then there's something. It means you are not communicating. Now, remember, we are talking about demonstration cues. Another thing you can do to elicit the strength of your demonstration cues is questioning. 
you can use questions for clarification or summarizing statements. So, for example, do you mean they were charging you four naira for just a call? Or, so after you got to the cab and got to the store and you saw the sales clerk, what happened then? Those are questions that help drive summarization. They help clarify issues and put you on a better pedestal. In all of this, my dear friends, you may want to know what exactly does it take for you to become a better listener. So permit me to share with you very simple tips that you can take from the incident of response to feelings, reading cues, demonstrating cues, but then what you as an individual needs to do. And you may just be tuning in and wondering, is this key for me? Yes, it's very key. Because when you learn to listen, some of us are not good at listening to our children. We are so much in a hurry because you assume you know what your daughter or son is about to say. And all he just needs is daddy or mommy's attention. That child could be going through so many things and is looking for a way to communicate. We don't realize that because we are poor listeners as parents, we are unable to connect with our children. I'm taking it from the grassroots level, which is family. Secondly, many couples do not, especially one of the genders, I don't want to be gender-centric, but if I say it takes two to tango, it puts it in the right balance. Some women don't listen actively. Some men don't even listen at all. So how do you want the farm to be well cultivated and then harvested? That farm could be the family. That farm could be the relationships that will spin off from that family. That farm could also be how you're going to gently take responsibility for the children. When you are not a good listener at home, your chances of being a good listener at work will be slim or slim just took a stroll. If you're not a good listener at work, then your chances as you grow to become a boss, you are promoted promoted year on year, promoted years in years, and you get to the pinnacle of your career and you are not a good listener coming to the ranks. People will only tolerate you and wait until the day you leave that exalted seat and then you will hear what really people think about you. Maybe at your send-off. That's where, if you're lucky, some will be honest with you. If you're very unlucky, they will tell you you are the best thing that happened since sliced bread. But truth is, you were never a good listener. Now is an opportunity for us to build good interpersonal communication skills, which is why I'm taking the time to get this granular. So join me as I look at the tips for becoming a better listener. If you're a parent, please listen. If you're a father, please listen. If you're a mother, an aunt, cousin, uncle, boss, manager, director, whatever title you give to yourself, bequeath yourself in it, but just lend me your ears to follow me on this little 
pathway. Number one, I want you to make a decision to listen always. And how do you do this? Close your mind to clutter and noise and look at the person speaking with you. Please give them your undivided attention. If you are a sales person, if you are a front office person, when you walk into most of the eateries, you find out that the attendants don't even give you any attention. They're saying yes, and you'll say, I want X, Y, Z. They'll ask you to repeat yourself in the best of moods, maybe three, four times, or they give you the wrong, or they take the wrong order. You know why? Because there isn't a conscious decision to listen. What they do is they hear. Hearing is one thing, but listening is another. Number two, the second tip for becoming a better listener, don't interrupt people. It is rude. Make it a habit to let them finish what they are saying. Now, I understand when you're having banters over drinks, you're having banters with friends, with your colleagues. I'm, you know, in that kind of space. But hey, when we are having strict interpersonal communication elements that need to play, you need to know that you can't afford to interrupt people. If your spouse is speaking, don't interrupt. Those are the things that wind some up. And you know, if you know that you can't, just make sure you pinch yourself. Do something to make yourself stay calm. So make it a habit to let them finish what they're saying. Respect that they have thoughts they are processing and speaking about. And wait to ask questions or make comments until they are finished. The third tip for becoming a better listener. Keep your eyes focused on the speaker and your ears tuned to their voice. Don't let your eyes wander around the room just in case your attention does too. Now, this is one piece that is essential because we take it for granted. You're talking to somebody and you find his or her eyes just going to and fro and you say, are you a devil? It's only the devil that goes to and fro. You need to stay focused. You know, let me have your undivided attention. But sometimes, you know, you may also want to see that whereas the person is actually focused on you, his ears are twitching and they are, he's trying to eavesdrop on the next the conversation happening on the next table or desk, especially in open plan offices. Many people are not so good listeners because they eavesdrop. So stop allowing your eyes wander around the room just in case your attention would do too. Now, this is something, especially for our working friends, the fourth one tip I'll say is, please carry a notebook or start a conversation file yourself. Just write down all the things that you have in a day, you know, and see how you fared in the course of it. Finally, ask a few questions throughout the conversation. And when you do, people will know that you are listening to them. Well, my dear friends, I'll be right back as we continue on this series, but I needed to land here as we open the box. It'll be a greater piece for you and I down the road. Be right back. This is Navigate with ID. Well, my dear friends, welcome back to Navigate with ID. I hope you've um, 
had some good time reflecting on the things I've said. And if you're just joining us, we are looking at the subject of interpersonal communication skills, or rather, building interpersonal communication skills. You know, in the first half of the show, I talked about a major pillar, which is about active listening and building active listening skills, what it takes to respond to feelings, reading cues, demonstration cues, and I stepped into the terrain by giving tips for becoming a better listener. And part of the tips I gave were, number one, make a decision to listen, that you shouldn't close, you know, you should close your mind to clutter and noise and look at the person speaking with you. Give them your undivided attention. Number two, don't interrupt people. Just make it a habit to let them finish what they are saying and respect that they have thoughts they are processing and speaking about. Number three, keep your eyes focused on the speaker and your ears tuned to their voice. Don't let your eyes wander around the room or going to and fro, just in case your attention does too. And I said, number four, ask a few questions throughout the conversation. When you ask, people will know that you are listening to them and that you are interested in what they have to say. And that brings me to the big pillar, which helps in building interpersonal communication skills. Guess what that pillar is? Asking open and closed questions. Let me start by saying that there are various types of questioning. Whilst I do recognize that there are several types of questioning, I'm only going to focus on two. Asking open and closed questions. Effective communication means that we should be spending a lot of our time asking questions and providing answers. Nigerians, are you hearing me? Especially in our climb, we don't ask questions. But I do give it to us. We are beginning to ask questions. And I hope um, with the new dispensation, May, May is a special month. All kinds of swearing in and swearing out and passion. I don't. I didn't say passing out parades. There are passion out parade. It's passion that is going out. And there's passion in parade. Um, these are all kinds of passion. Some people have... Their passionometers have waned in the last four years, while some are about to increase the level of their passion and love for country and service. But this is talking about you, so let's not get distracted. When it comes to asking, however, we often aren't aware of our own technique. Open questions in particular often give us difficulty, which is unfortunate since they're the most important ones for us to become skilled at using. I mean... If you are having trouble with open questions, it can be helpful to get more comfortable with small talk and easing yourself in the conversation at hand. Have you understood the whole concept of what an open question is? I am going to give you some tips. And there are closed questions too. I'm also going to get there. Now, what would you consider as open questions? These are broad, general questions that require your conversation partner to provide more than just a yes or no answer. What they do is they provide an avenue or a platform and also permit the other person to decide how much information to give. Very many times when you watch um, TV shows or talk shows, maybe you're watching, you know, a particular station where they bring up some personalities for interviews. 
in most cases, the questions are always open-ended. Rarely do you have a closed question, except the anchor wants to home in on a particular thing to say, I want a yes or no answer. But many times, you find it is always open-ended. Now, what do open questions strive to do? The following are the things that open questions can do. Number one, they give you more information. So, for example, you just met a lady. The tendency is that if she doesn't give you the necessary demonstration cues, if the physical, remember we talked about having physical indicators, eye contact, nodding the head from time to time, if those demonstration cues are not possible, the chances of you using the open question typology will be very slim. So you probably have to go closed. But if for any reason you are warmed up and things are getting well, you find there are open-ended questions. So where do you stay? Um, where do you work? Um, and she says, I work at um, BBC. And you say, oh, what does BBC mean? Um, BBC can mean anything bomb before computer. That's BBC, okay? And then from there, oh, okay. That tells me a bit about your age. I mean, some people be saying, ah, in those days we used to call it tuning or spinning or toasting. I don't know what you guys call it now. But when you think about trying to woo the opposite sex, especially a guy trying to, you know, reach out to a lady, there are a lot more open questions if the door or demonstration cues are there. But if the door doesn't look open, you need to use a closed question technique. Now, what does an open question do? It encourages your conversation partner to speak openly. So you will know. The minute you ask one question, it leads to the second one. And it's not, it's not going to be closed. The, sec- the third thing it does, it encourages people to share opinions and ideas. So you meet your, your boss or your boss is, you know, trying to find out some information. He will ask you, when last did you see Mr. XYZ? You'll say, maybe two years ago. So do you remember the context of the conversation? You know, it's, and what was your thought in that particular meeting or platform, whatever. It just allows you, you know, share some, your opinion, your thoughts, your ideas. Open questions also help us determine if people have interpreted what we say accurately. So if you have if you're having a conversation with someone, you have to use an open question to find out if that person understood what you actually said. But then there's also the closed question. Closed questions can be answered with a single word or two, just as a simple yes or no. So go with my previous analogy. You meet a lady and you are interested in finding more, some more information. So um, you will be very dumb to say, are you a lady? And she now turns and looks at you and says, no. Then you will run away. <laughs> or you meet a guy first time and say, are you a guy? And he says, no. That ends the conversation. But it would be stupid to now say something like, are you sure you're a lady? Then you either get a slap or something. But here is where we are going. Just to ram in the point about a closed question. They can begin the closing process in a conversation 
or provide confirmation of a detail, but they don't usually lead to a richer conversation. That is, with closed-ended questions, people don't want, they are guarded. You can't gather more information. It's almost like sitting in the court of law and then you're on the dock and then your whoever is cross-examining the individual will say it's a yes or no answer. So you either answer yes or no. Did you or did you not enter the room? It's a yes or no answer. You cannot afford to start talking about it. Now, the advantage of closed questions is that they give you control over the questions and the type of answers you receive. Closed questions are easy to interpret and more questions can be answered in less time. However, closed questions don't allow for detailed explanations or for the other person to share how they feel about a particular circumstance. And this is where I want to put a, a big guard, especially to us that are building relationships with our children. Do not stay as a parent on the closed questioning track alone. Make that come in once in a blue moon. Be on the open-ended side. Why? So you allow your children to express themselves. They are free to talk to daddy. They are free to talk to mommy. They are free to answer. I mean, growing up, my son, one of the things we'll always tell our children, my son and my daughter, will be, listen, regardless of what happens, always tell me the truth. Regardless. When I ask you a question, tell me the truth, no matter how bad the situation may be. Leave me to be the one and trust me to be able to manage it. And what that means is you're letting the child know that even if he or she messes up, he should own it. And by owning it, they're building trust. They're building credibility. They're already building a strong interpersonal communication bond with whoever. Imagine if you stand before a man that you trust absolutely and ask credibility you'll be able to say with every sense of boldness that, yes, I did this, I did not do this because you know that person. But if we train up our children with closed questions, they'll stay in the space of bondage of fear and they'll want to summarize yes or no. And that's not what we need. That's not what you want to use in building them up to have good interpersonal skills. So if you wish to encourage a richer response or to encourage a frustrated person to talk freely, then you need to avoid asking closed questions. Today, there's so much happening in our environment. Too many people. I mean, do you realize that a lot of teenagers now are very depressed? I mean, the, the level of depression amongst our teenagers now is alarming. And you know why that is happening? A lot of it has to do with the inability to express themselves. Things are happening either within the family, within their setting, there are things they are seeing, but they can't talk about it. Why? They're, people are not asking the right questions. Starting from mom or dad, do you even see mom? Do you even see dad? When do you have the opportunity? Probably is Auntie X that probably knows, but Auntie X does not know that these children are going through depression or depressive moods. They think they are throwing tantrums. They think they are being quiet, but they don't realize that the depression has set in. And later on, why do we? We then realize that something as gruesome has happened. God forbid all the 
trends and the tracks towards suicide is not it's not something that just happened. And it's really telling you that building interpersonal communication skills is absolutely critical for us as a people. And I'm talking to us as Nigerians. We need it. Our society needs it because we have thrown caution to the wind and in, now it's coming back to haunt us. Now, think about this. In our time, as much as culturally you could not answer or talk to an elder, but you must, parents will always allow you the space to be able to voice yourself, but within freedom, within a framework. I mean, I know that my dad, as much as, you know, he had run away from anything making him see me around the corner, the first thing is when you're around too much and that time you're a teenager, they'll send you everywhere. You are the one that will go on every errand. So we try as much as possible not to be around the parents or the elders. You play with your friends. And then you hear a distant voice that will say, Idoroyen. And then you have to run a yes, daddy. Say, where are you? I'm here, sir. And if it was something you did, he's going to ask you an open question. Or he might start with a closed one. I remember uh, once upon a time, and this is not encouraging trance anyway. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me. My dad, you know, I was supposed to go into secondary school and um, we we're going for a lesson. One of my, and I talk about peer pressure, the guy now said to us, you know, on our way to lesson, let's stop by at just under Masha. There was a place just by the roundabout there to the right. They used to rent bicycles for one kobo, two kobo. We'll go there and, and we had bicycles. We'll now sit there We'll ride bicycles and then we'll run over the time for lesson. I was very foolish. It happened day one, day two, day three. And we're enjoying it. When it comes, then we didn't go yesterday, we'll copy the notes. Peer pressure. And I forgot that our lesson teacher was in the same church. And that Sunday, I didn't go to church. I was at home. Then my dad came back from church. Apparently, the lesson teacher said, Have you seen Idorian? I've not seen him. This week, is he okay? And my mom used to pack lunch for me. My dad said, he didn't say anything. He said, you mean you've not seen him this week? It's okay. He didn't say anything. He drove in after service. He said, yes, daddy. Have you been attending your lesson? And I went quiet. Never take light. He said, I'm asking a human being a question. Have you been attending your lesson? That is a close question. And that closed is going to give room for open questions. I say, no, daddy. Says, why? That's an open question. Where have you been going after school? Open question. And I said, get me my cane. Then you lie flat. When you get the first one, toy. Why have you not been going for your lessons? As a dad is um, Rex and Tony, we always go to Masha to ride bicycle. What you have here is bicyclet twat. Trust me, it brought out so many open questions. And one of my friends, just at that moment, I remember fondly, the father was bringing him home because he had put some stamps on his body. You know those days you find on Bazooka Joe? He would then put them on the skin and then, yeah... His father was bringing him, he said they were called, they were posting. My father said, I'll post you, I'll stamp, 
put you, I'll post you today. He brought him, and guess what? Rex's father came, and he was one of one of the culprits. And we had two fathers dealing with us. Yes. They were called Calquitos or something. Yes, yes. Friends, parents, my own parent, my father, will give you, use one closed question, then the rest of them will be open questions. And that's why discipline had become the bane, had become the mainstay. So I'm just saying to us, please ensure that you use this tool so well. It's, that's why I homed in on just two open and closed questions because we want to make connections. The other thing I'm going to bring out as a pillar, if you permit me, and time permitting too, is what I call probing techniques. Very many of us do not understand what it takes to probe. When you do not get enough information by using open-ended questions, we can use probes to expand the conversation. Here are a few probing techniques that you can use to get more information from people and build value-based relationships. Number one, verbal and non-verbal probes. A probe will encourage your conversation partner to add to their previous response, and verbal probes are often a single word or short phrase. Some example could be, for example, tell me more about that. That's a verbal probe. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. That's a verbal probe. Really? It's a verbal probe. Why? It's a verbal probe. Can you give me a specific example of what you mean? Now, that that one comes, it's a verbal probe. When you know you have done something that is not so straight. Someone said, give me a specific example. Or you're arguing with your spouse. Yes, you didn't. No, you didn't. Say, so give me a specific example. That's a verbal probe. Now, non-verbal probes rely on body language and gestures to get the same results as verbal probes. For example, raising the eyebrows. Mm-mm. When you see a lady raise the eyebrows up and down, up and down, that's a non-verbal probe. And they're telling you, eh? <laughs> mm-hmm. then you know, and that sigh comes, you know what that means. Nodding is a non-verbal probe. Frowning is a non-verbal. That's why someone will look at you and say, are you okay? It's because you're frowning. He or she wants to get more information and it goes beyond the open and and um, closed questioning. So even if you are, you are having an open and closed questioning process and you find your recipient frowning, then it tells you you need to interrogate a bit more. Now, when you find people, you know, Pursing the lips. You find someone just playing with the lips and pursing. P-U-R-S-I-N-G. You'll then realize that, mm, I need to ask some more. These are techniques. So, probing techniques are many ways that you can use to get into more conversations, provided you know what to do as at when do you. An example, pause. Many of us feel uncomfortable when silence overtakes a conversation and we'll fill the silence by expanding on what was said previously. You have to be very careful about that. If you don't know how to manage a pause, it can actually create anger 
or some anticipation from the other person. So you are having a very tense argument and your pause could actually help bring down the temp the tempers. It can also, you know, gauge the temperature of the room and it kind of drops it slightly lower. But when that pause is too long, that other person will th- think you are taking him or her for granted and it can generate a spark. So, I mean, it's a balance of sorts. If you're just joining, we're talking about building interpersonal communication skills. If we're able to do most of these things, I tell you, my friends, our world, our community, our environment will be better off. What other probing technique can I tell you about? It's what I call paraphrasing, to paraphrase. Now, what it means is you reflect what has just been said in your own words. So if you've gone through a conversation with someone, you can paraphrase and you can start by saying, so if I understand you correctly, you want me to do X, Y, Z. That's a paraphrase. This technique shows that you want to understand your conversation partner and that you want to be accurate. If you are working with a boss who has a tendency to have selective amnesia, you must use paraphrasing as a tool. If you have a spouse who easily has selective amnesia, paraphrasing will help you. When you consciously do this by regurgitating or reflecting on what he or she has said and putting it in your own words, he or she will then say, yes, correct. That's an endorsement. And you don't have friction. You don't have issues. Then you're going to build bridges rather than walls. And it's all about bridge building. Now think about Nigerians sitting down and beginning to look at ourselves in that light. The other thing you can do is to use what I call summary questions. Summary questions are a helpful way of probing and winding up the conversation at the same time. So, for example, you have spoken to your colleague about this foul language in the office, you have tried to ignore it, and you remain concerned about the impact his swearing has on our visitors and staff. None of these techniques have worked to reduce the amount of swearing, and now you are asking me to intervene. Have I got it right? Now, you must have gone to HR to complain or you must have gone to a senior executive to complain about a certain colleague who is always swearing and using all kinds of words, swearing, swearing, here. So a summary question will go in that form. And that's exactly what you may use or may be used by whoever you're speaking to to close that deal. Now, here's another example. When... We asked an employee why it would take until next week to finish the project. One of our reasons was lack of cooperation from the X department, from either production department or sales department. Rather than come back with yet another question, you might just say cooperation in a very reflective tone of voice and pause. What am I saying? Cooperation there can bring a lot of friction. But usually, the other person will recognize that reflection as a clue to expand or provide you with additional information. So you are emphasizing cooperation. Do you think we have cooperation with members of the team? They will take the hint and say, okay, that's what you are trying to hammer at. 
But then there's a big pillar item which I will close with. And that has to do with managing your body language. Our bodies, especially our faces, do a lot of talking for us. When you are having conversations, it is important that you pay attention to what your body is saying and ensure that it is congruent with your words. When speaking with others, do you lean forward slightly to indicate that you are listening to them? Do you avoid the temptation to roll your eyes, even if you don't believe what you are hearing? Friends, I want to let you know that we must continually speak in a way that people will perceive us as trustworthy. This includes keeping gestures close to the body as opposed to widely gesticulating and to keep your gestures in line with what I will call the truth plane. This means that all your gestures are symmetrical and kept in front of the abdomen, not up at the chest or blocking your face. So it's at abdomen level. All the, all the things you want to say, let it be at abdomen level. You wonder what is abdomen, Nabele? At belly level. Many of us gesticulate with the hands in front of your face. No, that's not right. Uh, you're not going to make any connection with that. Well, what can I say? This hopefully would have helped you to understand how to build interpersonal communication skills. It's short, it's sharp, it's simple. If you have questions, do me a favor. Send a mail to contact at navigatewithid.com. The ID is spelled IDY. And if you do want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram and to take this on, just go on my tag at IDYENANG. At IDYENANG. The rest will follow through as God gives us life. Thank you for listening and hope to be with you again on Tuesday. And thanks everyone for making this happen. God bless.